Welcome to another edition of Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC 277. This episode and all episodes of Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP to receive a match deposit up to $100. We've been doing pretty good with them. I mean, we started really hot last week with those takedowns. Like, we we're just soaring. You know, on Makayev, we had like 11 takedowns. He was listed at two. Um, D1, Dia Casey. He was listed at maybe two, I think, as well. He got nine. Um, and then, then the wheels fell off. So, did not work out all that well. Um, I think I'm going to be sticking to, like, the takedowns. Maybe the odd significant strike and stuff like that. But uh, that's I think that's my new approach right now. But anyway, we've had some good picks. We've got Price Picks Pat on the sticks. Coming to you a day early because he needs a vacation. And um, and he he de- he definitely deserves a vacation. Cody Saptic is on the line to break down the repeat or the uh, the rematch between Amanda Nunez and Juliana Pena. I mean, I only won one bet last week, Cody. I I won two bets. I won um, that Patty Pimblett was going. <laughs> that was only for twenty bucks, uh, twenty five dollars. But uh, that Patty Pimblett was going to teabag um, Jordan Levitt. Um, and then I won uh, Vulcan Uzdemir, but I also won a shoey bet on the Uzdemir versus Craig fight with uh, Lou Betcha. Lou Betcha on Twitter, uh, check him out doing some good stuff with the MMA engine as well. He's doing a boiler maker shoey on his uh, on his show on Thursday, so he wanted to mention that. Maybe go check it out. I'll probably nice. retweet it when yeah. I see a shoey because I mean I got to celebrate something. It's been uh, it's been a rough stretch. For for the kid, the uh, the bank account or the 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 account has been dwindling. But, uh, you know, there's fights every single week. There's even fights on this Tuesday night. So plenty, plenty of uh, more chips in the uh, chips in the chair. And uh, we'll get right back into the swing of things. But, uh, yeah, I only won the Vulcan Uzdemir bet last week. Um, a lot of them were like plus money plays. So it's like I didn't lose too badly. Vulcan was a quite a large play for me. But it was another losing week. So uh, we got to get back on the winning track here, buddy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Speak for yourself. So last week we hit our first three lines on the Bellator, right? Top ticket, second oh, ticket, I third that. ticket. Thank UFC. You. Thank you for that. I tailed your Bellator. Yeah, that was that was pretty good times. Plus mm-hmm. 370 on the third ticket, right? And then for the UFC, we hit our top two tickets. And we also hit the eight-fight crossover between the UFC and the Bellator. Unfortunately, Mason Jones was that difference maker between like a really good weekend and a good weekend. So, unfortunately, lesson learned there. He's a four to one favorite. He fought awful, and uh, definitely something to consider going forward. And then, and then, and then, low key, like I'm not the biggest prop guy, but like I lost some money on Vulcan inside the distance. Like I don't know what the hell happened there, Paul. But sometimes to breaks in MMA. Sometimes things happen. So should have bet him straight up because the money line was just so goddamn. Good. But uh, I really thought this thing's not going to go 15 minutes either way. Even our prize picks selection on the under 40 and a half significant strikes. I'm like, this is going to be good. Stuff the takedowns, knock him out. And no world that I think he was going to stuff all the takedowns and then low key just like beat him up for three rounds and rack up high numbers without putting him away. But Vulcan didn't look very good. It's just he was able to beat Paul Craig. So uh, the other two mishaps from last weekend, if I was going to take any fault, is damn action, man. Unfortunately, the magical run's got to go over. And then the next thing is maybe I'm cursed, dude. Two weeks ago, main event, Brian Ortega 
and he pops out his collarbone. That's a goddamn. And then last week, Tom Aspinall, I'll ride with him, blows out his leg. So uh, I've lost the last two main events, uh, both by freak injuries. And <laughs> there's also a Dems breaks. There's part of the game, right? So hopefully we don't get anything freakish in uh, this card coming up. But you always kind of got to expect the unexpected. Yeah, that's just MMA in a nutshell. Like, it's weird that it's happened two straight weeks. But it's like, these things happen. Like, you know, when people are fighting to the death inside of a cage, people get injured and like they're not always intentional. I had some people actually main event. I, I back had some to back weeks. I had some people reaching chips. out to me. They're like, "How is that no not a no contest?" I'm like, "Curtis Blaze didn't do anything wrong. It's like his opponent's knee just popped out. Like that stems the breaks. If you're mm. if you're in a bar fight and you get injured, <laughs> you're losing that fight. I'll tell you that much. Unless you have a lot of buddies with you." I mean, it's the same 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 <laughs> rules in the bar as as in the cage or in the streets. It's like, that's that's just the way it is. Hopefully, Tom Aspinall is okay. Hopefully, the I haven't followed up on the injuries for him, but uh, hopefully, he's back at it because I really wanted to see how that fight played out, and we really didn't get any sort of idea uh, of what it looks like and how. That's the biggest question mark with Aspinall. It's just like, is he up there in the upper echelon? The, the Curtis Blades was the perfect test to see if he's like a top five heavyweight. And it's like, we kind of got robbed of that extra information. But uh, hopefully Aspinall's uh, back better than ever. He's a 29-year-old heavyweight. Like, he's got lots of time. Um, yeah, and he had to, said, he had said know, going into the rest. fight. But yeah, yeah let's get into the, in. uh, the main event here. We got Amanda Nunez taking on Juliana Pena. In the rematch, Amanda Nunez minus two eighty-five favorite. Juliana Pena can be had for plus two forty-five. I mean, I had, <laughs> you know, hindsight always twenty-twenty. It's just like I had Amanda Nunez inside the distance and around like minus three hundred on the laser-guided heat-seeking missile. If you can remember that, my God, I haven't forgot. I mean, I feel like that was like a big turn of events for me in terms of how I've been doing uh in mma gambling but yeah so like now i'm now you stare at it though we've seen the fight it's like amanda tries to finish her off super super early doesn't work out cardio or whatever falls off an absolute cliff gets finished in the second round kind of insta taps you know people are gonna come at my guy max roshkoff and just like well you know the lady goat quit as well um she wanted no more once we once uh you know she had emptied the tank and and that was it um it's tough i mean obviously adjustments can be made she's at a smart camp she's going to change her strategy i, I would imagine she probably keeps to the outside she can win this fight in a striking match work on that cardio this entire camp and pick your shots from the outside pena can't compete with you at striking range just don't, you know, don't blow your wad super, super early and, and you can pick it apart. But it's like it's, you know, especially when you've seen how when the wheels fall off, what it looks like. Pena is super, super durable. Uh, because of what we've seen, I'll pick Pena if I was going to bet. But like, I'm terrified to bet this fight. What about you, Cody? Yeah, I kind of fall in the same boat. I think the best time to fade Amanda Nunez is obviously the last time. The second best time to fade Amanda Nunez might be right now. So I kind of always felt like a bit of an Amanda Nunez hater, but then the results just kept speaking for themselves that eventually it was pretty undeniable that she was a lady goat. Like, who's got a better legacy than her? And take a look at this run. Knocks out Ronda Rousey, wins the title, beats Valentina Shevchenko, 
and a close split decision, but over five rounds. And Valentina is a fellow Hall of Famer. Beats Raquel Pennington, pillar to post, finishes her in the fifth round. Beats Cyborg Santos, Cyborg Justino, whatever you want to call her. But uh, KO in the first round, that one really solidifies it. All those other performances were good. The Rousey fight was good. Shevchenko, huge. Raquel Pennington looked awesome. And then to knock out Cyborg in the first round like that, it's like, oh, damn, she's for real. But then just for good measure, she fights Holly Holm, a woman known for her head kick, and then decides, I'm just going to beat you at your own game, and head kicks Holly Holm. So now she's solidified that she's she's the greatest, no doubt about that. It's the run following that. She gets the Jermaine Durandamy fight where everybody better as a huge favorite. Everybody's on the boat. Like, how is Jermaine Durandamy going to beat her? One, if the lady goat wants to stand with her, did you see what she did to Cyborg? Did you see what she did to Holly Holm? Of course she could stand with Jermaine Durandamy, and she's got some some huge ground advantage as well. But see, what happens in the fight is she looks terrible, right? She relies on these eight takedowns to get the fight continuously to the ground. She gasses out pretty early. Her BJJ black belt's enough to have control on top, but why isn't she just passing easily? Why isn't she submitting a rudimentary kickboxer like Jermaine Durandamy? Like, why? Well, maybe because it's at 145. You can make excuses. Bottom line, she didn't look all that good. And the home fight's a first-round finish. The Cyborg fight's a first-round finish. Uh, the Rousey fight's a first-round finish. She got suspect cardio, but of course, she did beat Valentina. Lost the later rounds, but did beat Valentina. She had the Raquel Pennington performance. Like you try to make excuses, but the first red flag for me was the Jermaine Durandamy fight. The second red flag is the very next one against Felicia Spencer. Whereas she has a huge advantage everywhere over Felicia Spencer, but she should be able to just stand with her and knock her out, right? I mean, she's such a great striker, and Felicia Spencer's got nothing in that department. Like this is a good ch- chance for. Her. And again, she relies on six takedowns, you know, controls her, neutralizes her for a lot. Uh, fight goes the distance. It's not all that entertaining. It's not a, you know, a Hall of Fame-worthy performance by any stretch. But, oh, well, she can afford to mail in the odd one. And then, of course, she smokes through Megan Anderson. And that's what gave me a false sense of, like, you know what? Why do I doubt this girl? Like, she's she's legit, you know? like the But Megan Anderson's a tailor-made fight. And, of course, going into it, we were all in agreement that she'll beat Megan Anderson. But I've been always wondering about her cardio. And I've always been wondering about her commitment. Now, she, there's a girl that makes a million dollars. She's a first ballot Hall of Famer. She's defeated all the other top women in her division. She's held the belt. She's uh, got a child now. She's married. She's living in South Florida. At some point, you're not as motivated. And if Amanda Nunez was to come in unmotivated and out of shape and run into the right uh, opponent, then she's going to get taken advantage of. And I think that's exactly what happened with Juliana Pena. In the first round, she looked good. She's able to get the fight to the ground. She's able to control her. She was out striking her standing. She had a lot of good moments. But Pena was pressuring the entire time. Now in the second round, immediately she's tired. This is a five-round fight, Paul. She can gas out in the third, fourth, or fifth and give it up late. She gave it up in the second. Mm -hmm. In the second round, that kind of pace was enough for her to be like, I'm done. And you've seen her tire in some other fights where nothing's happening, like the Jermaine Durandamy fight. It's one-way traffic the entire time, and yet she's still fatigued. When Pena gave her that that resistance, that little bit of pushback, that's what caused her to fatigue. Now, I know she leaves American Top Team and she's got her own private camp going on right now, but is that impressive? You left the number one gym in the world to go do your own private thing? Okay, are they, are they pushing you? Do you have the same level of training partners? Do you have the same level of coaching? Do you have the same facility? Do you have the same? No, no, it's, well, I'm in my mid-30s almost. I'm a multimillionaire, and I just feel like getting my belt back. Though You don't usually go out and get your belt back when you drop it. That's kind of a passing of the torch. I understand it was a huge upset. No one saw it coming. I got caught with my pants down, got burned on a man. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people got burned in that spot. 
but it was like everything I saw that night was an accumulation of things I expected to happen. I just didn't think that Pena was the girl to do it because Pena, although super scrappy, since she's come back from childbirth, she laid a total uh, egg against Jermaine Durand to me in a fight where, again, she couldn't get much going in that spot. And then I went over Sarah McMahon where Sarah McMahon quit later in a fight. Not that impressive. And then you're in a title fight with Amanda Nunez. Like, come on. But uh, no, no. I mean, she was that scrapper from back in the day. Remember on The Ultimate Fighter? Like, this is a girl that was strong and rugged and mm -hmm. uh, had a lot of promise. Uh, she gave Valentina Shevchenko a hell of a go, win the first round over her, beat up two male bouncers in a nightclub in Washington State. Like, Max. this girl was tough. This girl was rugged. This girl was ready to go. But then life did get in the way, right? She won the fight with Rousey. She ended up having a kid. She took years off. She hurt her knee. She came back. She looked really flat in her return against Jermaine Durand. I mean, there was every reason to doubt her. I I'm not going back on that. It's that what she's able capable of doing when she's at her best is go and expose somebody like Amanda Nunes. She did it the last time, and I, I think that she's going to do it again here. So sign me up for Pena. I think this one takes a little bit longer to get done, but uh, – I just think that the pace at some point will cause Amanda to quit. And like Max Roshkoff, I'm not saying once a quitter, always a quitter. But in Amanda Nunez's case, she tapped mad fast. That pressure gets on her again. And, and last but not least, uh, it's the odds. The odds are just way too juicy to look away. Yeah, Here's a girl that just true. choked her out in the second Seems round. Like it feels took all like her a, best strikes like standing. It feels grappled like a trap. With her. She's, yeah, she's plus 245. But, like, are you kidding? But we've seen what happens. Like, if she... I mean, if she comes out aggressively, tries to put away Pena early again, it's like, well, Pena showed that she's not just going to disappear. She's not just going to go away. Like, nobody's doubting that, like, skill for skill in a five-minute fight. Amanda Nunez has better striking, more power, more more devastating. But it's a five-round fight. Like, if you don't get you her out of there, like, Pena's going to keep coming. Um, one, yeah. one thing I wanted to add quickly is uh, Nunez on prize picks, her takedowns is listed – at two point or at two takedowns, I could see her getting to two. I mean, I could see her getting to three. Maybe that ends up being her strategy coming into this. Uh, Pena has been taken down three times by uh, by uh, what's what's her face? The uh, the former flyweight? No, the former Nico Montano took her down three times uh, way yeah. back when. But um, I really struggle. Like I could see that tying, but I think it's a really good leg. Um, under two takedowns. Seems like a pretty good spot there. Like, she got one takedown against Pena last time out. But, like, Nunez, you know, outside of, like, the Felicia Spencer fight, outside of, I guess, um, Jermaine Durand to me, she's, like, she's not exactly, you know, a superstar wrestler. She probably wants to keep it on the feet, manage her energy a little bit better. So, two takedowns seems high. I'm going to be going under on prize picks. That's That's all I had to say. Did you have anything else to say? Should we move on? No, yeah, that that's about it. I narrative doesn't really count for anything, but um, keep in mind when Ronda Rousey lost to Holly Holm, she's a minus fourteen hundred favorite. Loses to Holly Holm, everyone's like, "Oh my god, impossible that this happened." It was like that was the moment she got exposed. Now her very next fight, she's booked against Amanda Nunez, and Ronda Rousey comes in as a minus one eighty favorite, despite the fact that she literally just got exposed. Mm -hmm. there's still that belief that there's some greatness there. Conor McGregor loses. The next time he fights, it's like, well, what if he lands the straight left? It's like, he don't land the straight left, but fair, because you're such a big star, right? They're, they're immediately, all oh, it was a fluke. It was a fluke, and they'll get it back, and they'll get, there's greatness there, but I think that's the reason why the price has been driven to this. It's People are feel like, oh, I'm getting the lady goat for this kind of price tag. Oh, that's hilarious. 
but we're looking at it as like, well, you're still getting an underdog literally just beat her and you're saying she's plus 245 and it's women's MMA last but not least. But yeah, we can move on from this one. I think it's dog or pass. And we both agree with that. Very, very much dog or pass. I, I mean, don't get don't get caught up in the in the weeds of of Nunez chalk this week, I would say. All right. We got Brandon Moreno taking on Kai Kara France for the interim flyweight championship i mean it kind of seems like how long is figgy out for it seems really stupid to slap an interim on this but uh they're doing the same thing they did with francis where it's like you want to play hardball but you're injured you want to take time off because of an injury <laughs> interim belt and then they booked uh derrick lewis versus Cyril god it made no sense but it was like well he wants to sit on the sideline take his time so we're gonna force his hand figgy's non-committal to anything they offered him a moreno uh trilogy fight and he was just like, nah, right? Okay, fair. He doesn't want the Moreno fight. Uh, they offered him somebody else. He turned it down. And then he said, oh, I'll just go to 135 then. So it's like, okay, this guy is not serious. He wants way more money. He wants the perfect opponent. He's being difficult to work with. You know what? Let's squeeze him. Let's put an interim 125 belt on the line. And all of a sudden, who are you to come to the negotiation table? You're not even the champion anymore, right? So it's all just business tactics. Yeah. All right. Well, Brandon Moreno is minus 210. Kai Car France can be half for plus 180. I think it's a bad matchup for Kai Car France, who relies a lot on his power in a lot of his fights. Brandon Moreno, incredibly durable, fantastic cardio, five-round fighter, proven multiple, multiple times that you can go five rounds. I could see Kai Car France winning, you know, early rounds. I really struggled to see him knocking out Brandon Moreno. I think Brandon Moreno is going to have a uh, advantage on the mat if he's able to get it there. Kai Gara France, his takedown defense, pretty solid. Um, and I think he's making tons of improvements. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that Kai Gara France is an absolute fish. Um, that uh, that Askar Askarov fight, like that was his best performance of his career. And and, he, and he's definitely has an upwards trajectory here. But like a lot of his outs and a lot of his winning or a lot of his fights that he's won have been relying on that power. Like, you know, go watch him versus, like, Bontarine again. And it's just, like, he's he's losing right up into the point that that he that he knocks him out. Like, the, I think the grappling should be there for Brandon Moreno. I think the price tag is more or less fair. Probably a fight that I'm more interested in betting live because I could see Kai Kara France having some success early, maybe even wobbling Brandon Moreno early. But um, I don't think he's going to put Brandon Moreno away. So Brandon Moreno's the pick. What about you? Yeah, I got to agree 100%. Um, the t- minus 210 price tag, I don't love it just because I think this is going to be a close, competitive, likely go five-round fight. Uh, a lot of the striking exchanges, a lot of grappling exchanges. Of course, with flyweights, you get a lot of action in general. So if we got a, a close, competitive fight, minus 210, not exactly loving it. The other thing with Kai Kara France is there was a time you could kind of knock him here and there. Some close decisions, probably shouldn't have won, some, some flat performances. But the guy looks good right now, man. Like, he's on a career-best run. His striking's on point. Of course, he's with City Kickboxing, training with some of the most elite champions in the world, uh, getting some good rounds in. And I do really think that he's coming into his own. He's still young. I think he's 27, 28 years old. And uh, there is a sense here that Moreno's a tad bit hittable standing, right? Kai Car France is an excellent striker. If the fight stays standing for a prolonged period of time, you would think Kai Car France is going to have more than enough opportunity to snipe him at range and showcase his best skill set, which is the striking pedigree, right? As far as the fight going to the ground, well, Moreno definitely has a grappling advantage, one would think, but these guys already fought once before. Moreno didn't take him down the last time. And beyond that, 
Moreno's got good takedowns, and a lot of the time it creates a scramble. Kaikar Francis has excellent scrambles. He's been showing it lately. The Rogerio Bontrin fight was a fight that he got into some sticky situations early, but you can see that, especially over the course of five rounds, he's going to have his moments. What I keep coming back to is that last fight. I know it's a long time ago, but I think very much both guys have made a ton of improvements. Both guys are a more advanced version of each other. And just like you said, it would be competitive early. Uh, Kaikar France will have success early. The last time they fought on two of the three judges' scorecards, Kaikar France ended up winning the first round. By the fight metric numbers, Kaikar France outstrikes him in the first round. The second round, Moreno starts to turn up the heat. Now, the second round, the numbers all favor Brandon Moreno. You watch the fight, you can see that the momentum's starting to change, and Moreno's fighting his back way into it. In the third round, Moreno's like a man on fire. Dude throws 104 significant strikes in the third round alone. Secures the third round, ends up winning the fight. It's a close fight. It's a good fight. And to me, it's very much telling of how this one will be. Kaikar France maybe goes out and wins the first round, just like you alluded to. Maybe you can live bet Moreno after that. But I think it's Moreno's ability to keep coming forward, to take his best shots and to roll. The, the volume, the output, the ability to maybe mix in some wrestling if need be, to maybe mix in some grappling if need be. The fact that he's been championship rounds, the fact that, he, the fact that he's fought some elite-level competition, he's just got all of those key advantages over Kaikar France. And I, want, I wouldn't rule out a Kaikar France victory, but I would think there's enough things favoring Brandon Moreno that that would have to be my logical pick. So I am going to take a Brandon Moreno to get the job done and pick up the, I don't know, would he be like a two-time champion if he won the vacant belt? I I don't know how it would work out. They just run it back. You know, it would be Figgy versus Moreno four with a draw and a win for each guy. It's like, it's a natural situation where they can run a fourth fight and nobody's really going to complain. They're clearly the two best guys in that division right now. I think you run it back, but I just don't think Figgy has any interest in it. He's already fought the guy three times. He's beaten the guy uh, two of the times. It's like, it's time for me to walk away from this situation. I've beaten him. He knows it's a tough fight, and he knows the UFC is not willing to pay. If he moves up to 135 and they told you it's Figgy versus Aljamain Sterling, um, you know, I, I think Aljo ends up just grinding him and tiring him out. But it's still interesting enough that it's like, well, Figgy's a better striker than Aljamain, and Figgy's strong. Like, you could factor him in with some money fights at 35 if yep. need be. But... And he hates that cut down to 125. Like, yeah, really he doesn't particularly – he missed weight in a title fight against Joseph Benavidez, which I think that was an interim title fight too. So it's like this division is just kind of in disarray with interim. I hope that if Moreno wins, Bruce Buffer doesn't announce him as and new – he would say, and again, champion Brandon Moreno, because they're just going to flip-flop this belt between three or four guys over the conceivable, uh, or like, you know, conceivably they'll just probably be the same three or four challengers mixing it up. But I don't know. Again, good fight. Don't agree with the line, but do agree with the favorite. So I'll take Moreno. All right, we got uh, Sergey Pavlovich taking on Derek Lewis, minus 130 Pavlovich, plus 110 Derek Lewis. Banger. Banger. Somebody's going to die. Yeah, I mean, this is like, this is heavyweight uh, volatility in one fight. It's like Sergei Pavlovich absolutely ices every single guy that he takes in the first round. Derek Lewis, probably the most devastating power puncher, you know, in UFC heavyweight history in terms of he's, he's just fought for so long. I mean, there's so many heavy hitters that it's like, I don't want people being like, I can't believe you said that. But it's like Derek Lewis, like when he hits you clean, it's like he shuts people's lights completely out and it's nasty. Neither one of these guys really seems to have much of an appetite for grappling. They're going to stand in the center. Uh, 
I mean, yeah, this is a it's a straight up coin flip fight kind of thing. Um, I don't see much of a mathematical edge whatsoever. Derek Lewis has taken more punishment, I suppose, over the course of his career. The one time that we've seen Pavlovich uh, taken advantage of is when Overeem took him down, grappled him. That's probably not going to be an issue against Derek Lewis. I'll, I'll take Sergey Pavlovich for the purposes of this show, but like, I'm not going to be shocked if he's unconscious within you know three or four minutes. Uh, Pavlovich for me, what about you? Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of leaning the same way. I'm not sure. Did the line switch? I felt like Derek Lewis opened up as a favorite. Um, um, I'll look. But yeah, I'm with Lewis, right now. when you can get plus yeah, money, I, on Derek they opened Lewis. it up as a pick'em, and and Pavlovich is becoming a slight favorite. Yeah, like I'm leaning with Pavlovich as well, but you're jumping into the unknown. The unknown being that the guy is a physical specimen. He is big. He is strong. I don't know how he passes his drug test, but he does. And uh, he's got a lot of power, right? You see him go out there. You see him knocking out guys in the first round. You see what he's able to do. Keep this in mind. I think he might have the longest reach currently in the UFC. 84 inches. The guy's six foot three. He's an 84 inch reach. That's freakish, dude. That is freakish. I think John Jones has 84 as well. He might be like 84 and a half because I think John Jones is the longest UFC in uh, reach in like UFC history. Uh, it's even longer than Stefan Struve. Stefan Struve is seven feet tall. So, yeah, I mean, those guys, and, and listen, I'm not saying by no stretch is Sergey Pavlovich anything like John Jones, but of course, it's a huge advantage to have these very long arms, right? So, with Pavlovich, he's got a ton of power. He's very strong. He's very menacing. He's got that long reach. And if he hits the target before you hit him, he's going to put you over. The unknown here is though we know that what he's capable of doing to a certain extent. He lost to Alistair Overeem in the first round. The Marcello Gom fights a minute. The Maurice Green fights two minutes. The Shamil Abdurakhimov fights four minutes. You don't see him go out of the first round. Being that he has that much mass around him, that much muscle, if he goes beyond the first round, it's going to be a big question mark. The other thing, too, is when you look at his base, it's wrestling. Dude was a wrestler. Dude's very capable wrestler at that. And yet when you see him in the octagon, he ain't using it. He's just blitzing forward and trying to exchange with guys and having some success outside of the Overeem fight, which I'm more than willing to give him a pass on. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he goes out there and he wants to take Derek Lewis down if he could. I don't know if he's just going to be the younger, faster, sharper guy. He's got that 84-inch reach. He's going to be able to touch him up with a jab. He's going to wait for his right hand. Uh, the thing is, Derek Lewis's two biggest uh, kryptonites standing is that he's really open for the leg kick and he's really open for body shots. But Pavlovich don't kick at all, and he's a headhunter. So if he goes in and tries to stand in front of Derek Lewis and swang and bang, it might not go good. We've seen Derek Lewis been able to kind of thrive in those situations. People will point out the last fight tied to Evos and be like, man, he lost in Texas. This is in Texas. He's going to lose at home again. Uh, he doesn't fight good at home and uh, it's a bad loss and he's washed and he got knocked out. He was this close to winning that fight. He almost knocked tied to Evos out before Ty got up and ended up knocking him up. When you're a heavyweight, that's the shit that happens. And if Pavlovich wants to stand in front of him, maybe he knocks him out. Maybe he gets knocked out. It'd be a dangerous game to play. Uh, if you want to give me plus money on Lewis, that is very tempting because, of course, that's when he thrives and is generally at his best. But, yeah, I, I'm actually in the campaign of the uh, the camp of Lewis is looking a little washed these days. He was never one that was, like, super motivated to begin with. Now he's got a plethora of injuries. He's a little bit older. He's been paid quite well. Pavlovich is younger, hungrier, faster. And I think that the, the faster boxing combinations are, uh, are going to allow him to hit Lewis before Lewis has a chance to counter. And with Lewis, a lot of the time, if you put that pressure on him, especially early, you could break the guy down. So mm -hmm. I will take Pavlovich, but of course on the list of, you know, faith and confidence, and it's going to be low on that list just because it's middling heavyweights and 
you and I both know what can happen in those situations. Man, I wouldn't even say middling heavyweights. Just like one of these guys lands clean, the other guy could very well just go out. That's just the nature of the beast when you're when you're talking about you know heavy hitting heavyweights like this. Well, I, I right, not, but I say middling heavyweight in the sense that Derek Lewis is a huge overachiever. Like he picked up wins that he had no business picking up, but you can tell that the guy's on the downswing and he probably gets beat up by most guys in the top five or top ten of the division. On the flip side to Pavlovich, Alistair Overeem was a stud, and he absolutely smoked him. That's four years ago. Since then, he beat Marcello Golm, who's since been released, Maurice Green, who's been released, and Shamil Abdurakimov, who's been released. So he knocked out three guys that are all cut from the promotion all in the first round. It's like, he's middling. Like, what has he shown to show that he's elite other than his bod? You've seen this guy. It's like, okay, he's like one hell of a big menacing guy. Like, he could make something happen, but... Have you seen Derek Lewis? Did I say did I say the words big menacing guy? Like Derek Lewis is as menacing as it gets. Dude's got like KO King tattooed on his chest or some shit. Um, and he lives up to the nickname, by the way. He fought, uh, yeah, I just think it's gonna be a for the interim heavyweight championship, Cody. If you don't forget, if you don't remember when they were trying to pull the figgy on my boy Frank, Frankie Murder. Um, I mean that's that's the move. That's that's what they do these days. But yeah, he but, also pa- fought for the title against Daniel Cormier, right? When they were trying to screw uh, Stipe Miocic, and they're like, no, nope, no, nope, we don't want to do it. He's an been immediate their go to guy. It's just like, hey, do you want a title <laughs> fight? You're probably. He's had two title fights. Like, it's un- unbelievable, but it's he's unbelievable. a company man. Yeah. All right. We got uh, Alexandra P- Pantoja taking on Alex Perez, minus 180 Pantoja, plus 155 Perez. Who you got here? Yeah, well, here's another fight I just don't get a very good read on simply because Alex Perez is incredibly talented. I think the guy's got a very bright future. Uh, he's a good wrestler. He's a good scrambler. His technical boxing has looked awesome. Dating back to, say, the fight with uh, Jose Shorty Torres, like just mauls him. Great boxing. He threw like an absurd amount of punches in the three minutes that that fight lasted. It was like, okay, he's heading in the right direction. The loss to Joseph Benavidez, you can argue that was punches behind the head, but Regardless, his wins when he's at his best are quite good. He's a good striker. He's a good wrestler. He's got good jiu-jitsu. He's very, you know, well-rounded everywhere. The thing is, is that he made a bad decision by accepting that fight with Davidson Figueredo on short notice because they told him, hey, we don't got anybody to fight for the belt. Would you like to step in and fight on short notice for the UFC flyweight title? And he did. And it's like he was on a decent run, had fought in largely guys that aren't great, Jordan Espinosa, Mark De La Rosa. But a nice win over UC or Formiga. You're going to fight Brandon Moreno. I think he was scheduled to fight him that night or a week before, before he got yanked. He would have gotten a title fight anyways. He didn't need to jump into this one on short notice, but he does. He ends up getting caught in that first-round guillotine choke. The fight don't last long. I remember watching it live, and it was, like, super anticlimactic. It was like, eh, caught him in a guillotine choke. You know, kid shot a bad takedown. What can you do? But it was just, like, one of these little momentarily momentary lapses. But that's two years ago. Since then, look at what he's canceled bouts he's got. He pulls out of a first bout with Matt Schnell. He pulls out of a, got rescheduled the second time. Schnell pulls out. They rebooked a fourth time. Perez misses weight. They book him versus Askarov. Askarov gets canceled, and now he's fighting Alexander Pantoja. So the last time he was supposed to fight Matt Schnell, he makes it all the way to weigh-ins, misses weight, gets sick, cuts, uh, gets removed from the fight. That's a bad look because now he needs to go back down to the same weight. So, this is going to be a fight where you certainly need to wait to see weigh-ins. The guy hasn't fought in two years. He's had 
seven scheduled fights fall through. And the one time that it looked like he was finally going to make it, he missed weight and ended up getting sick as a result. So I think the world of him, I think he's extremely talented. And I think if he's at his best, he's going to present some problems for Pantoja. Even if he's not at his best, uh, well, we don't know what his best is because he may have made tons of improvements over the last two years. But again, you got to put your faith into just things that you're not 100% certain. And I don't know for sure. Whereas with Pantoja, like this guy's a junkyard dog. Like very good power for the division, good grappling. Seems like his chin, his durability, his cardio have all been making improvements. There's time where he gets a little lackadaisical. There's times where he looks a little bit, you know, lethargic in there. But his last two wins, Manel Cop, Brendan Roy Val, certainly aged quite well. I think he's got advantages in a lot of spots. And with Perez, if the fight stays standing, I think Perez will have a technical boxing advantage versus the power advantage for Pantoja. If the fight hits the ground, you know, wrestling advantage for Alex Perez, grappling advantage for Alexander Pantoja. So it'll probably be a good, clean scrap. But I, I just the feeling I get, especially because the two years off in the bad weight cut, is Pantoja just clips him with something, hurts him, causes him to shoot a bag takedown, snags up a submission. But uh, at minus 180 Pantoja, like it's um, it's the kind of price that this might be our apple pie shitter. This might be the the, the one spot. But mm-hmm. I got. I still got to agree with the favorite and take Pantoja. Yeah, I'm leaning towards Pantoja as well for most of the same things that you kind of just said. And like, frankly, like until I see Perez on the scale, like he had missed weight before, but like even some of the times that he had made weight, he like looked really, really rough. Like needed the Bad. hurt and curtain, and then obviously having to pull out uh, against Matt Schnell. Um, I I just don't really know where he's at. So until I see the scales on uh, on Friday morning. There's really not much I can do with it for the purposes of the show. It is uh, Alexander Pantoja for me as well. All right, moving on down. We got Magomed Ankalaev taking on Anthony Lionheart-Smith. Minus 600 for Ankalaev, plus 400 for Anthony Smith. I mean, there's an easy path to victory here for my boy Magomed. Guy who I think is the best guy at, at 205 pounds, and that is... Stick to the game plan of taking this guy down over and over and over do not turn this into a striking match and like i I, at minus 600 the price is so wide so the problem is like he made the fight against tiago santos harder on himself than he had to right it's like he only i believe he finally went for the takedown in like round five but he like wanted to almost prove to himself it's like i can strike with this guy and win all of the rounds you know significant strikes were 78 to 60 um he did get knocked down like he made that fight so much harder on him it makes it a little bit harder to trust but it's like three round fight here against Anthony Smith who his takedown defense has always been a bit of an issue ankle I have fight this fight smart take him down take him down over and over and over he, he sh- like I understand why he's minus 600 I am not betting um Anthony Smith by any stretch of the imagination. I think Angolaev wins. My 600 is wide, but it's the price you have to pay. Um, I think he wins probably 30-27. Maybe he gets him out of there, but like it's Angolaev is a tough nut to crack because he's got all of the skills, but it's like he almost seems like he's just like testing, like especially that Tiago Santos fight. It's like it almost seems like he's just kind of like testing his skills in different situations rather than like taking the easiest way to win the fight. Um, I'm sure Ankolaev is, you know, is your pick here as well. 
Yeah, I, so you and I have been saying this for a long time now that we think the guy will be the future champion. So I can't jump off of him at this point. I, I gotta, I gotta ride it through. And with Anthony Smith, you know, it's a winnable fight, and it's a fight that has huge implications for him because Anthony Smith's a forward title challenger. He's a big name. He's on the broadcast team. Beating him is going to give you some level of credibility with a more casual audience, and then they're going to try to feed him towards that two hundred five pound shot chance. So yeah, he's got a lot on the line. Smith's a big name guy for him, but. I got. I'm worried about this fight, man. I really am, and I'm never worried about Anthony Smith's fights. But here's the difference between the two of them: Ankalaev striking good, but of course that jab from Anthony Smith is nasty. So I don't know if you want to stand for too too long because he's going to start racking up some points with the judges. Uh, the wrestling game from Ankalaev, yeah, much better. He gets those takedowns all day if he wants. BJJ black belt from Anthony Smith, not bad off his back, but still, he's not going to submit Ankalaev off his back. He's not Paul Craig. He's not going to make it happen. You know, the Russians learned a lot since then. I think that he would just, you know, ground and pound from the top position. So, could be good. Here's the key difference, though, is the ring IQ. Anthony Smith has good ring IQ. Angolaev, questionable. Because it's like you're saying. Is he he playing with his food or is he just making a series of wrong decisions? And are one of these wrong decisions eventually going to cost him? Because it's a whole number of fights. The Dolce Lunkumbula fight. Why not take Dolce down? He's ripped up. He's shredded. He plays with his food. He plays with his food. One takedown, and then knocks him out in the third. Didn't look great. The young Kudalaba fight the first time uh, was crazy because he faked being hurt, and then the rest stops it. The second time, you know what this guy's going to do. Exactly what he did in the first fight. He is going to bum rush you and throw hammers. And instead of taking him down, he stood with him. And he, those some of those shots just missed. But Ankalaev decided to, same thing, I can't take him down, but I'm going to stand with him. He did the same thing against Nikita Krylov. He lost the first round to Nikita Krylov on the basis of he got outstruck and he did not attempt one single takedown. The second round, he takes Krylov down and Krylov gasses out. The third round, Krylov's gassed out and he takes him down again. He wins the fight 29-28. He took the first round off. His striking wasn't good enough to beat Nikita Krylov in a straight-up five-minute striking match, and he relied on Krylov getting tired. That ain't going to happen with Anthony Smith. His striking's good. His cardio's excellent. He trains at altitude. Guy can go five rounds. Guy's made a career out of going into those later rounds and making shit happen for himself. You know how many beatings he's taken in his life where he's come back and won in the third round, won in the fourth round? Pretty decent. The Volkan Uzdemir fight, much of the same. You know, one takedown against Volkan Uzdemir. They call him no time. He's got huge power, right? Why would you not take him down? What That is a pass of least resistance. Tiago Santos, one takedown. Stands in front of him. What ends up happening? He got clipped. He got hurt. Playing this stupid game, he played this stupid game against Dolce. He played this stupid game against Kudalabo. He played this stupid game against Krylov. He just did it again against Volkan, and now he just did it again against Tiago Santos and got clipped and got dropped. None of that's good. And Santos, for the record, is shot to bits. He ain't the same guy he used to be. If he was, maybe he could have followed up on that. Maybe he could have made things happen for himself. So what I'm getting at here is the easy path to victory is there. Go out there and get takedowns. But then when you look at the numbers, it's like, he actually shows a 33% takedown accuracy, which is low, and has only scored more than one takedown once in his UFC career, which was against Krylov, where he got three. Every other fight, it's a takedown. Maybe none. Normally just one. Well, so like, it's not he fought Kutalaba me. twice. Kutalaba, you know, has a great wrestling pedigree. Tough to take that guy down. You're a but yeah, sambo, yeah. But yeah, like Dalka, it's like that was you should have been taking them down like right off the hop. Like that's you just take them down over and over. Maybe, maybe Vulcan, we're just overrating. Thiago, maybe we're overrating Krylov. the guys wrestling in general. 
while he he's not one of these wrestling uh, uh, wrestling Russians, you know that's what we like. We like guys that are going to go out there. I've always kind of assumed that he probably Madoff. is, but he doesn't really. Well, show I would it on assume the that too, but but he but he's surgical with his striking. My problem is is that being surgical and standing to the outside and jabbing guys, it's like it's fine, but eventually you're going to run into a guy like Smith, who's a gatekeeper, but he's going to jab with you all night long for 15 minutes. It's only a 15 minute fight. So if you're just going to sit there and jab with this guy over and over, he's going to land shots. You're going to land shots. If you don't take him down to solidify these rounds, you're going to leave them open to interpretation. He's going to get burned by doing that eventually. So all I'm questioning is his, is, is ring IQ here. Because mm-hmm. if he goes out there and gets the takedowns, he will win this fight. I don't really trust him to do it. So I want to say this is my lock of the card. And I feel like other people are saying the same thing. This is a lock on the card, but like, I don't know if it is, man. Like, I'm going to play it. I'll take it, Kaliah. But, like, I think this is greasier than it needs to be because he's going to make it greasier than it needs to be. Hope I'm wrong. Hope he proves me wrong and just goes out there and has a clean-cut victory because he's got the tools to make Smith look bad. It's that um, Smith's tough, dude. Like, he's actually a guy that I completely wrote off that then moved up from 185 to 205 and ended up beating some of the best guys in the game. He's crafty. He's smart. That's the reason why he's on the broad. The guy's got 50 pro fights, and he sits on a, on a panel and discusses things professionally on television. Why? He's very, very smart. He's a student of the game. He could put the right game plan together to make things way tougher on me. So, again, hopefully I'm wrong. My boy goes out there and crush, crush, crushes, but – uh I feel like I want to put something else on the top ticket. I put yeah. Ankle Live on the second ticket, but I'd like to try to lean on something else at the top. Yeah, I mean, Ankle Live is just, yeah, it's a history now of making fights seemingly harder than they should be. Um, he still wins them. He wins them cleanly. It's like nobody's really doubting whether he won at the end of it, but it's just like, it just, yeah, everything seems a little bit closer than it should. Besides, like, you know, the Kutalaba fights where, you know, they just flat out just assaulted the dude, but... Yeah, it'll be interesting. The price is super, super wide, so you got to be damn sure at minus 600. All right, we got Matthew hmm. Semmelsberger taking on Alex Morono. Semmelsberger is minus 145. Morono can be had for plus 125. Who you got here, buddy? I think this is just a dog or pass. Don't really got a ton of underdogs at this point. In fact, I don't think I've picked a single underdog. We got a near-even money fight, Pavlovich versus yeah, we Lewis. We picked but... Pena in the main event, buddy, plus two. Oh, that's a huge dog. What am I talking about? <laughs> the rest of the favorites the whole way through. Suck it. Uh, like, yeah, Semmelsberger has got volume. He's big. He's strong. He's good for the weight class. I feel like he's a work in progress, but he'll generally go out there and put some good volume up. Uh, his fight with Carlton Minus, he had the volume. The fight with Jason Witt, 16 second KO, looks good. Chaos Williams, it was a close fight, it was a good fight. He landed some big shots on Williams. Cardio looked good, he's big, he's physical. And then I'm the mook that bets the guy as a minus 200 favorite against AJ Fletcher. When Paul Shaughnessy looks me in the eye and tells me, Don't do it, don't do it, because he's, he's uh, still your way the- out of that one though. I scummed my way out of there. It was a hell of a fight. And AJ Fletcher has never had to go into those deeper waters. He's never had to do that. He's never had to compete under the bright lights of the UFC. So, like, give that guy a full training camp and, like, another fight or two. Like, he probably smoked Semmelsberger. The main thing is, is that I caught him at the right time. So, I paid a terrible price on on uh, Semi the Jedi. But um, whatever. He, he looked like he kind of regressed a little bit. His striking is by no means elite. His uh, doesn't have that huge power where he's going to like knock you out per se. His wrestling is good. Like he's hard to take down on the basis of he's really big for the weight class, but it's not like he's super technical by no stretch of the imagination. And I think he just likes to get in your face and have like a good old fashioned scrap and a throwdown. 
And with Alex Morono, you know, he's, he's kind of in the same boat. I think he's down to do the exact same thing. He's fought at a higher level. He's got wins over Donald Cerrone. He was beating Anthony Pettis, you know, had some great moments against him. Currently on rocking a three-fight winning streak. And it looks like his volume is certainly there. He's a little bit wild uh, with the right hand, likes to throw the overhand right. But his boxing is there. I think that he'll close up the gap. He'll fight largely in the pocket. Samuelsberg is a little bit of a longer guy. They'll both scrap toe-to-toe. They'll both land a bunch of shots. But this card's in Texas, right? Yeah, this card's in Texas, and Morono's like a deal in Texas, right? He's local. He has his own gym down there. He's a fan favorite. They're going to get into a Rock'em Sock'em Robots fight that goes 15 minutes. They'll gift it over to uh, Morono's way. Either he earns it by merit, or he earns it on the scorecards, the greasy way. But I, I feel like Morono's going to come through with the victory. And uh, at plus money, whatever, I'll take the small shot. Yep, I'm uh, I'm with you too. Complete dogger pass type of situation for me as well. I've never been a Semmelsberger truther. Uh, mm. Obviously, even with the AJ Fletcher fade, the guy was he's very very small for the division. But I thought that you know he could kind of exploit him in the wrestling. What really kind of came down to was cardio in the end, and you know super super close rounds. And Semmelsberger like reverses him in round three, and, like lands or holds holds top position, and that's kind of all she wrote. But very, very, very close fight against AJ Fletcher, who's making his UFC debut and is only 25 years old. Um, all right, we got Drew Dober taking on Rafael Alves. Minus 190, Drew Dober, plus 165 for Alves. Interesting fight here because, like, Drew Dober, obviously, American kickboxer. Great striking. Look at that chin. Look at that chin. You can't, you can't crack Ooh. that chin. I mean, he can get wobbled, but it's like it's, it's a damn stovepipe. Um, that, that thing, that chin is made for taking damage. Um, but Drew Dober's takedown defense, not exactly great is grappling. Definitely exploitable. Um, if you can get the fight to the mat, uh, can Rafael Alves can get the fight to the mat? Cause plus 165 or like him by submission seems kind of interesting. Um, I don't have a firm take on this one yet. Wanted to hear what you had to say. Well, this one's dangerous because Dober's just like a little too big of a price tag. Like Dober's a badass, but see, here's the pattern. The pattern is Dober's being in his ass kick lately, and then he's able to turn the tables, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's got sheer perseverance, a whole lot of durability, but uh, no doubt about it. He, that Terrence McKinney fight, he took a absolute beating, right? Yep. The fight before that with Brad Riddell, he likewise took an absolute beating down Taking the stretch. Started out times. well. Taking down five Riddell. times is a bad look. He took some serious shots. Is that Brad Riddell's not really much of a power puncher? He started off well. It, it did seem like he tired out down the stretch. He started out like a man on fire against Benil Darius. He almost had Benil Darius knocked out in the first round. He ends up getting armbarred in the second. Uh, the Terrence McKinney fight. Terrence McKinney is all over him later, like or early, sorry, and then he's mm -hmm. able to come back. So like there, it's it's these it's these moments where he's there for the taking, and then it's either they're able to get the kill quick, or they're able to expose him, or he fights his way back into it. And Rafael Alves is one of these guys that's very very live because he fights like a man possessed. All of his fights so far that we've seen on the contender series against that Alejandro Flores, of course, a uh, big strong, big for the weight class, snatches up a guillotine choke, and uh, submits him. The Demir Ishmagulov fight, you know me, I'm a huge Demir Ishmagulov guy. He drops him. He has him hurt. Like, he's trying to pounce on, you know, a very, very fine prospect. Unfortunately, ends up tiring. And Ishmagula is able to take over after that. But you see where his striking is maybe not the best, but he's got big power, and he's willing to just get the quick jump on you. So in that fight with Marty Casey, 
I like DKC, right? He generally fights a smart-ish game plan. He's got some skills. He was a big favorite over uh, Alves. I picked DKC over Alves that night. Fight starts, and DKC striking never gets going because Alves gives him no chance. He just, everything's power strike, power strike, power strike, cause you to make a mistake, cause you to shoot, snatch up the guillotine choke. Mm-hmm. Feel with the Drew Dober fight, it's going to be volatile like that. Like, he's going to come at Drew Dober, and he is going to throw down. Drew Dober has an excellent chin, like you alluded to. The guy can take one hell of a punch. But we have seen him get seriously rocked. We have seen him get taken down. We have seen him end up in some submission attempts. So none of that would bode well. If the fight goes over the one round, Dober's taking over, baby, because that's what he does. His Muay Thai is solid. He's got very good power, and he's a guy that's very precise. It sometimes takes him around to get going, but once he gets going, he's a steam engine. He's able to you know, usually come through and get the win. He's not one of these guys that's seemingly able to get over the mount to that top five, top ten, but he's going to be one hell of a gatekeeper in keeping these guys that are not quite as legit just outside of it. Alves is legit for a round. Dober needs to make sure he gets out of that round. So I will take Dober, but a former sponsor of the show, shout out to them. If you're playing any type of fantasy game that needs you to roster some guys here, Alves is a good pick. He's a two-to-one underdog. He's going to be valued properly. The guy fights absolutely for your dollar, and his upside is a first or second round finish. So he's the kind of guy that could, you know, help you fill out a roster potentially. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree there. I'm kind of scared because I know that Dober is so dangerous on the feet, and I think Dober should absolutely should win the exchanges on the feet. But um, if it gets to the mat, like Alves has shown that like his grappling is super, super opportunistic. And uh, once he grabs a hold of that neck, it's lights out. So I wouldn't be shocked to see uh, Rafael Alves pull off the submission. What is Alves by submission anyway? Alves by sub. Uh, it's only open at one place so far. It's already moved. It opened at plus four seventy five, and it's already plus four hundred. So maybe, maybe something to monitor as the week goes along. Um, more books open up that option. If you can catch a five, plus five hundred, I don't hate that. All right, moving on down, we've got uh, Dante Mays taking on Hamdi Abdul Wahab. Dante Mays is a minus 170 favorite. Hamdi can be had for plus 145. I mean, if you <laughs> quickly watched a little bit of tape, like quick clips and stuff like that on, on Hamdi, and it was hilarious. Like the, the guy that he took was Matthew Strickland, who he's fought twice, once um, in a bare-knuckle kickboxing match. Um, knocked him out with like a jab in 15 seconds. And then the other time um, at Icon FC3 where he absolutely just pounds him too. But like the guy he's fought was like literally like just like walking human pair. Like I don't know where they found him, why he's fought the guy twice. Kind of hilarious. Um, has only ever fought. Yeah. His two pro results are both losses against Hamdi, Hamdi Absol, Absol Wab or whatever. However, Handy, uh, Handy Asswad, we'll call him. Um, I don't know what to expect, except for the fact that I know that he is like a, he was an Olympian in wrestling. From what I see in terms of like his striking, looks very, very rudimentary. Uh, Dontale has been leaning on his wrestling quite a bit. Does he have takedown defense to stop this, keep it on the feet? If he does, I don't doubt that, uh, you know, this was like a pick like a couple days ago. Now it's minus 170. I grabbed a little bit at the minus 125, but 
at the book that I was able to get that minus 125. Limits were like only like 0.7 of a unit for me. Um, I mean, I don't really do like the, you know, the 10 unit plays or anything like that. Everything's pretty flat. But um, yeah, long story short, I got, I got it at minus 125, but like at minus 170, it's like, do you really want to be betting Dante Maze at minus 200 against someone who may be able to just take him down at will? I would say no. Um, uh, I'll, I'll pick Mays. I already have money on Mays, but I have it at a better price, and I think we're into the, the danger zone. When I tipped one of my friends about it, I said I'd probably line this at like minus 170. We're there now. I don't see very much value. Um, so Mays for me, minus 170 is kind of scary. Um, yeah, that's my pick. What about you? Yeah, I got to go Maze for sure, for sure, for sure. So he's actually supposed to fight Justin Toffa in this spot, and so you're getting a short nose replacement from Hamdi. Hamdi did not earn his way to the UFC. He didn't win a contender series fight. He's not, in my opinion, that legitimate of a prospect. They just need a warm body. He's taking the fight in short notice, and he's probably going to get his ass beat pretty good. So, yeah, all, all regions to have Dante Maze. Dante Maze has also got some issues to his game, certainly. He's big, six foot five. Uh, switch stance fighter, good boxing, but has difficulty getting his back off the cage, has difficulty fighting off his back. His last couple of fights, man, he's shown vast improvement against Roque Martinez and Josh Parisian. He's definitely adding to his grappling. He's definitely getting a lot better. He beat Josh Parisian, uh, crucifixed him on the ground, smashed him out there in the third round. Like, quality victory. I think the guy's improving. I think a win over Justin Taffa would have been another step in the right direction. And now he's getting a short notice replacement, this Hamdi uh, Abdel Wahab. Hamdi Abdel Wahab. I didn't know who he was either. Then a month ago when I was putting that card together in Niagara Falls, I needed a heavyweight and uh, his name had actually come up. He accepted the fight. He's like, I'll come down. It was wrestler versus wrestler. One guy was an Iranian national champion. This guy's an Egyptian national champion, but him and his team accepted the fight. And the other guy from Iran was like, this guy can't wrestle. I'll smoke him. So he, they liked the fight. And then it turns out Hamdi only has an Egyptian passport, doesn't have an American passport. So he can't actually leave the United States or he can't get back into the United States. Mm. So yet he's living in upstate New York and he's not very good. He fought his amateur fights on the ups on the uh, upstate New York regional scene. He's listed at six foot two, but seems a lot smaller. He's not all that in good shape. His striking is very stiff and robotic. I don't think there's a whole lot to his game. I think if they booked him on the contender series, he'd lose there. Um, the fact that he was jumped from fighting for us for a thousand bucks to making a UFC debut for 12 and 12 in the matter of a month is nothing shy of sheer luck. Okay. <laughs> this guy was not otherwise going to make it there. So yeah, I think Dante Mays just feasts on him. There's going to be a huge size advantage in terms of the height, but in terms of the reach, eight Dante Mays come out here. Advantage. Yeah. He's rocking an 81 inch reach. He's six, six with 81 inch reach. He's going to have an eight inch height advantage. Uh, I believe this is in the big cage. It's not in the apex. It's full-size arena because it's a pay-per-view. So he's going to be able to just stay to the outside and chop away at this guy. When people tell you Olympic wrestler, Olympic wrestler, first of all, no knock to Egypt in the slightest bit. It's just like the wrestling program is not exactly Georgia. You know, it's not exactly Azerbaijan. It's not exactly Iran. It's not exactly the United States or Russia. Like, it's a smaller program. So, okay, so what? So he was a, an Egyptian wrestling champion. You know how many D2, D3 uh, national champion All-Americans D1 guys come to MMA, can wrestle, get punched in the face a few times. Not for them, right? This guy's had some bare-knuckle box experience. He's tough. He's stoic. I'm sure he's there for the fight. 
I just don't think he's got the advanced skills. And the one way that he would beat Dante Mays, which is, yeah, use that wrestling. Take him down. He's so long with long limbs. If you take him down, it's going to be hard for him to scramble back up. You can now grapple this guy. It's like Mays is clearly working on his grappling and shouldn't mm-hmm. be mistaken for that same guy from a few fights back. So, like, I think it's right for the taking. And even at a minus 170 line, it ain't bad. So, I do got Dante Mays. All right, we got Dracker Close taking on Rafa Garcia. Minus 200 Close, plus 170 Garcia. Who you got here? Gotta have to go with uh, Dracar Close. I mean, the one thing that's always going to worry me about this guy for the rest of his foreseeable career is uh, Jeremy Stevens almost ended his career, but with a push, right? Shoved him at Wayne's, and this dude's still suffering from like career ending whiplash. So I've always got a bad feeling that like something's gonna go wrong for me. Like, we we're talking about injuries earlier, like the last two uh, UFC main events, you know, there's a random injury. Like, I'm just waiting on him to have some random ass injury and cost me. But beyond that, Jocker Close is technical. He is good. The guy's got uh, good striking, lacks a little bit of power, but um, he's in your face, forward pressure, decent wrestling. His losses are all two very credible guys. Uh, Benil Darius that last time out it's a war he's got Benil Darius rocked he's got him done and then Benil comes back from the jaws of defeat and knocks him out but could have been a very career uh, a career changing victory a very high level victory shows a nice uh, the Bobby Green fight's debatable I thought he lost personally but it's still a good looking win on on paper got a win over Mark D. Casey good looking wins on paper the two-year-long layoff though from the whiplash it's like he's either gonna have made a lot of progression to his game or He's been hampered from the injury. And we only just saw the one fight and it was against Brandon Jenkins. But he killed Brandon Jenkins. Now, Jenkins was a short-nosed replacement opponent who's there for the taking, no doubt about it. But mm-hmm. Dracker looked good, man. He looked really good. His striking looked good. You mentioned the other day, who's he dating now? He's dating the UFC and Courtney fighter. Casey. Courtney Casey, yeah. It's like, okay, he's, he's obviously put himself in a good training situation. He's got someone that's motivating him. He's fighting in the UFC. Very nice comeback victory over Jenkins. He said he was physically feeling good. He's 100% healthy. And this is a guy that, as his at his best, is capable of hanging with some of the upper echelon guys. I think he's made a good uh, job of heading in the right direction. Rafa Garcia, meanwhile, like he's a live dog. Like he'll come at you. He likes to wrestle. He likes to wrestle heavy. I just don't think he's going to out wrestle Dracker close. Like his takedown defense is pretty solid. His cardio is pretty solid. And if Garcia is going to go out there and routinely just try to drill him to the ground, I feel like close is just going to win the striking exchanges from distance, stuff the takedowns, keep it standing, and just rinse and repeat throughout the course of the night. The fight with Jesse Ronson his last time out. It's not that he didn't look bad. It's that one, Ronson didn't look good. Two, he illegally kneed Ronson in the face on the ground, right? And then Ronson was like, I'm good to continue. Can you continue? I can continue. Starts and then loses like two minutes after that. So it's like maybe the takeaways there from Garcia is that he's, he's good. He's limited, strong, likes to wrestle. If he has a key wrestling advantage over you, he will defeat you on the basis of he can shoot 20 takedowns a night and his cardio is good enough to go, you know, 10, 15 minutes. But against close, I just don't see that wrestling being a factor because I don't think he's going to consistently get him to the ground. So now you get a force to strike with him. And again, his striking is not terrible, but it's a, it's a little bit loopy. It's a little bit wild. It's a little bit throw two strikes to close the distance and try to get a hold of you to take you back down to the yeah. ground. If that don't happen against close, I think he's just going to intercept him, chip away at him, land the better shots, and then ultimately the judges uh, should score it in his favor. Yeah, I will say on, yeah, on, on prize picks... Uh, closest significant strikes is set at 60.5. I think I like that to get over. I mean, Grootsmacher landed 100 significant strikes against Rafa Garcia. 
unless you're unless you're uh, i mean the town levy got taken down seven times still got to 47 so it's like yeah it's not bad if rafa <laughs> garcia's not taking him down at will then i think 60 and a half seems pretty it seems pretty reasonable for close to get over right rafa garcia very very durable i probably see like fifth i see this probably going to decision like don't be fooled by the uh the brandon jenkins fight it's like Dracker Close isn't exactly some sort of potent finisher. It's most of his fights do go to decision. Um, obviously, it could be a bit of a stalemate on the feet. Maybe, maybe it's just low volume. Like that, that has happened with Dracker Close. But like ninety nine against uh, Christos Giagos, which is like probably a pretty similar type of uh, stylistic matchup that he's going to be dealing with. Uh, you know, Christos Giagos to Rafa Garcia, not so different in terms of how they fight. So I think over sixty and a half significant strikes for Dracker Close uh, is, is how I would go about it. I think Dracker Close wins, Dracker Close by decision. Uh, Michael Morales takes on Adam Fugit. Uh, Morales, minus 650. Fugit can be had for plus 425. What can you tell me about this uh, Fugit guy? Fugit, I'm in on him. No, I mean, he's, I'm not in on him, by the way. That was a joke. Uh, BJJ Black Belt, uh, good grappler. Uh, kind of like one of these guys could grind a little bit, uh, could have some success. But I just think he's big time out of water. All of his step-ups, for the most part, he lost to Austin Vanderfort, ended up being Paige Van Zandt's fiance, goes on to some bigger and better things. That Kalen Hill, right? Kalen Hill ended up making it to the Contender Series, so at least some degree of notoriety. Fought him in an LFA card, but he gets knocked out a minute 31 into the first round. He goes back to grappling after that. You see all of his wins are set up by his jiu-jitsu. Um, Kamara win, Renee choke. this TKO against Devin Brock, set up from being on the ground. He grapples Nick Maximov at submission underground, ends up losing to Maximov by submission, and then just sat on the, the sidelines, right? Had fights canceled, pulled out of a couple fights, had a couple nagging injuries. Two years later, they book him against Solomon Renfro. Now, Solomon Renfro is very imposing, right? He's physical. He looks good. He's very athletic. He's got power. Solomon Renfro is a flat-out fraud, fraudulent fighter, okay? Soon as that the pan gets hot, he out of it, okay? Not very good. So, fuck it, <laughs> fuck it, let's go. He's a plus 350 against Solomon Renfro. He's going to get killed. Renfro, not very good. And so, fuck it, clips him, like clips him early, puts him away, puts him away 43 seconds into the first round. He hadn't fought in two years. He's a plus 350 underdog. He's a BJJ guy. But the guy didn't respect his power and just came down with his hands for it and ended up getting clipped. So it's like, that's a career best win for him. And that propels him right to the UFC. But this is a guy that otherwise should not be there. He's taking the fight on short notice. They need a guy. He should go the route of contender series. He should go the route mm -hmm. of winning a couple more fights and getting a little more consistency to his game. But they need somebody. And so they're going to throw him in there. This Michael Morales kid, I made a grave mistake. I made a grave mistake betting against him on the contender series against this Nikolai Vretnikov. Now, look, Nikolai Vretnikov, excellent Muay Thai, good in the clinch. Beyond that, had fought some legitimate guys. And Michael Morales is was a 22-year-old kid from Ecuador with yeah. a ballooned-up undefeated record against nobody. This is why tape study is so key, right? I spent more time looking at Varetnikov and less time thinking about what this kid was going to bring to the table. Turns out he he's is good. a judo brown belt. He is a BJJ brown belt. And he's a part of the Ecuadorian national wrestling team. He is unbelievably strong. He is young. He's green. He's wild. But the kid wants it. And he went out there against Varetnikov and put a beating on him. 
So now they book him against Trevin Giles, which is this kid's 23 years old. He's making his UFC debut. He's only got 12 fights to his name. He's going to fight Giles, a former LFA champ, guy that's fought, mixed it up with some decent level of competition, has something like seven or eight fights in the UFC. Like, that's a tough debut, no? No, walks right through. By the way, Giles, for the record, had fought up at uh, 185 pounds, right? So, like, he was used to fighting some bigger guys. And Morales just showed, like, he's getting better. He's getting better quickly. He's strong. He's physical. And in many ways, he reminds me of... um, Enrique Barzola, right? He come over from Panama, or not Panama, he was from Peru. And it was just like, eh, the guy's obviously very strong, but like there's a lot lacking to his game. And then you see through training and just getting in there, having uh, being with world-class guys, you know, he, he's good. He's a top five guy in Bellator. He would have been a top 15 guy in the UFC. He had some credible victories. It's like eventually you're taking from a situation where you don't have top level training partners. You don't have top level training facilities. You don't have top level coaches. And then when you bring them stateside and you give them all that stuff and they appreciate it and they have the work ethic and they have the physical attributes and they have the desire, they'll put it together. And this kid's not just, I showed up in the USA, showed up to my first wrestling class. Like he was on the Ecuadorian national wrestling team. Mm-hmm. He already has a judo brown belt. He has a BJJ brown belt. He's 22 years old. Sorry. He's 23 years old now. Like he's got a promising future. He was going to fight Ramiz Brahimaj who's a BJJ Brown Bell, a decent wrestler, so and a banger-bust first-round guy. So to go from that to taking on Adam Fuggett, who, by the way, is a BJJ Black Similar Bell, type of probably matchup. Probably more of a first... Exactly. So I think Morales has got him snuffed out. I like the kid. I like the kid. I would say I don't love the price because he's young, but I think it's expected. Minus 650, he's got a very promising future, and Adam is coming in on short notice to do a job and probably shouldn't be in the UFC. So that I all understand. It's whether or not you think Morales is going to take him out inside the distance to try to get yourself a better price tag. And the way the guy fights, he's trying to take you out inside the distance. And the way we've seen Adam Fuggett's uh, durability in some past um, pro fights on the regional scene, he's not that durable. So I would think Morales inside the distance, specifically by TKO or KO, because I just don't think he's going to submit the uh, the experienced black belt. Yeah. That, that that all makes a lot of sense. And, like, I was even looking through, like, the prize picks numbers. It's, it's tricky because, you know, the significant strikes, it's like, well, well, it's at 37 and a half. It's just like, well, what if he finishes him really early on the feet? Takedowns, like, one and a half. It's like, does, is he really going to, like, stick to a game plan of taking down a grappler when he was preparing for somebody like Brahimaj? The game plan was probably keep this fight standing. I I think it's, it's all kind of scary. What is... Yeah, but then you need him to finish in the first round. It's all it's all tricky. It's all very tricky, Pat. Um, don't love. Yeah, I just don't have a strong strong case for for any of those numbers on it. And they don't have because it was like kind of. I mean, it's this fight was kind of just put together. I don't see any props out there yet for what Morales is inside the distance. The over under is one and a half rounds. Um, you know, juice to the under uh, minus one twenty five. So like. He's probably going to be like minus 200 or so inside the distance, at least, I would guess. But yeah, we were both picking Morales. It's just, you know, you have to pay the price to pay, uh, to play Michael Morales. All right, we got Jocelyn Edwards taking on GU and Kim. Minus 130 Edwards, plus 110 Kim. Who you got here, Cody? Yeah, I think Kim's due. I know that sounds probably real stupid, but uh, I, I feel like this is a girl that's due. She's been putting the work in. She's been uh, full-time over in Las Vegas, and you can most definitely see the improvements. She's just not quite getting there. She's not just quite getting over the hump, but again, she's going to be able to eventually put it all together. 
three fight losing streak. Okay, it doesn't look good. But then you look at it, Alexa Grosso. The first round, very competitive. I mean, uh, I think she gets outstruck 36-35 in the first round against Grosso. It's tightly contested. The judges gave it to Grosso, probably rightfully so, but a very competitive first round against somebody who's top five in the division. Eventually ties out a little bit after that and ends up losing, but to be able to hang with Grosso, certainly in that first round, there's a good takeaway there. The Molly McCann fight, she lands 122 significant strikes. She outstruck Molly McCann in two of the three rounds, including the first and the third. So cardio looked better, striking looked decent, volume for days, but she gave up two key takedowns to Molly McCann, which probably didn't help her cause, so she loses. Main thing is, is Molly McCann, maybe a drunk, but maybe a top 15 contender as well. Who knows? So decent enough loss, even though she loses to her, she put up some numbers. Then the Priscilla Cachuera fight. So if you're just going to look at it on paper, <laughs> she's going off a loss to Priscilla Cachuera. Here's the thing, man. She outstruck her 170 to 102. The first round, she looked awesome. The second round, she looked pretty decent. The third round, she's clearly getting fatigued. She won the third round, and then a series of nasty elbows with like a minute left, 30 seconds left, those Cachoeira elbows kind of persuades the judges in her favor. 14 media members scored that fight. 13 of them scored it for Kim. Mm -hmm. One of them scored it for Cachoeira. She should have won that fight. She had moments against Molly McCann and outstruck her in two of the three rounds. She actually looked very good for one round against Alexa Grosso and was very competitive. That's all good stuff, man. That's all good stuff. Jocelyn Edwards, meanwhile, she's coming off the win over Ramona Pasquale at 145 pounds. Literally this fight's down at 135. A standing punching bag. Yeah, it was not exactly a good fight, uh, any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, it was only like six weeks ago, right? So six weeks ago, she fought at 145, and now she's going to drop back down to 135. Might be a little more difficult, I suppose. She herself has good volume. I think that this is going to be a, you know, a closely contested women's MMA fight where both of them are going to land probably over 100 significant strikes. They're both going to have moments. It's going to be tightly contested. I just feel like Kim's making the more overall improvements to her game. Kim should be able to keep her on the outside of that reach. She should be able to land a little bit more in the volume department. And uh, yeah, for, for that reason, I think I'm going it, to... It's, it's another dog or pass situation. Plus 110 on the underdog. It's women's MMA. It's closely contested. It's going 15 minutes. I really feel like Kim's just due for a win. She's been putting in the work. She's been robbed in her last time out. She's fought good level of competition and given a good account of herself. She's going to get it eventually, and I think this is it. Sure. I'm not touching this fight with the 10-foot ball. I think it's don't, a yeah, close 15-minute yeah, fight. Maybe if I find an edge in live markets while it's going on. But, yeah, I'll lean towards the dog because it's a plus 110, but... I, I don't feel too great about it. I think it's going to be a close, competitive, stand-up, women's, women's MMA striking affair. And, you know, we're, we're in Texas. Who knows, man? It's, it's, it's about, it's, yeah, the way that, you know, these, these fights get scored. Maybe, uh, Texas is bad, but, like, in general right now, it's like, if it's even remotely close, you know, the, the line's probably pretty accurate here. In it being like a 50-50 type of fight. Um, Ihor Pretoria takes on Nick Nugumirano. Poterio is, or Poteria is a minus 125 favorite. Nick can be had for plus 105. Um, I think this is an, another live dog here. Um, Nicky, Nicky Nugumirano is, you know, 
coming off of a split decision win over Kennedy and Jugu. Not everyone really does uh, agree with that decision. But what we have really seen from him is, is like the guy can take punishment. The guy can take damage. Ehor coming over from the um, you know, the region. I believe on the contender series, he was like a pretty solid um, underdog going into that spot. Obviously pulls off the first round first round ground and pound win. Obviously he's a banger, but it's like you go through this guy's record and it's like he hasn't fought anybody. He hasn't fought anybody um you know, barely anybody with like winning records until that alt or that uh contender series fight um wrong fighter favored as far as i'm concerned nick's already got the real ufc uh credentials he's already beaten real uh ufc fighters and a guy like uh kennedy and juku in a guy like um yeah ike villanueva doesn't really count alexa kmore been in there with uh sapper big safarov is fought at this point. I just think he's a little bit more seasoned. So dogger pass for me. I'll pick uh, Nikki Nikki Nagums. What about you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, on one hand, Ehor kind it kind of stinks, right? Like you look through his record, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of sticky instances for sure. Even like he shows three amateur fights, right? You see that on his topology. He shows three amateur fights. All three of those amateur fights take place in 2019. Okay, in 2019, he would have. He would have been 13 and two when those amateur fights apparently occurred. Now, here's another thing that's stinky. All three of these amateur fights took place on the same day at Bukovo Free Fight Cup 9. Only one of them actually took place six weeks later than the other ones. So, how come the show is still called Bukovo Free Fight Cup 9 at another show a month later? Why wouldn't it be 10, right? So, when you see him beat this many guys and you see that there's that many suspicious records, it's the same thing like that Morozov from a few weeks back. It's like he's padding. He may have changed his name to avoid some losses. Some of these fights may or may not have taken place. A lot of them are on very questionable cards, to say the least. There's some serious problems there. But unlike uh, Morozov from a couple weeks ago, uh, this guy actually showed up to fight Lud Lucas Sadolsky as a plus 180 underdog, and he knocked him out. Sadolsky is actually decent, dude. He was a decent Polish prospect, undefeated. And Eeyore came out, and it was looking to strike, no doubt about it. He looked like he was more of a karate stance, had like some okay uh, distance management, but like his head was cocked up. He doesn't move side to side, and he was just willing to get there and engage with you. He was able to clip Lucas Sadolsky and put him away. One has to wonder about his cardio. He's finished so many guys kind of early in that first round that I got to think at a UFC level, if you're able to push him at any type of pace into a second and a third, there's a good likelihood he falls apart. He also mm -hmm. fought this Felipe Ensu, guys 17 and 18, uh, three years ago, and it's a split decision win because it's one of his fights that goes beyond the first round. Nikolai Garbus, he fights him, fights him in 2019. He's 14 and two. The guy's 0 and 3. The fight went the distance. That's yeah. low level, man. That's super low level. You're 13 and three. He's 0 and three. Fight still goes the distance. Maybe he's super tough. I don't know. What I'm saying is there's a whole lot of stinkiness going here. Now, here's why he could still win. One, it shows that he could still throw. And Morozov, for the record, Morozov tried to absolutely go out there and let his hands go. He absolutely tried to knock out um, uh, Alonzo Menafield. But Alonzo Menafield just took him down and smashed him. That was the path of victory. This kid will do the same thing. He'll come out willing to swing. He'll be willing to throw down. And Nick Negamarianu is very hittable. Dude is extremely hittable. So if you're going to walk forward with your hands down and your face up in the air, 
Someone's going to clip you eventually. And look at Alexa Kamor outstrikes him 102 to 71, and they robbed him. Candy outstruck him 95 to 64, and they robbed him. In both instances, he's getting soundly outstruck and getting beat up. But yeah, he's the Homer Simpson effect. He can take a good punch, and eventually he wears you out. Ehor is going to light him up. And I wouldn't rule out, knock him out. But if you believe in Nigga Mariano's, uh, you know, durability, then he'll probably get shit kicked in the first round and then make it happen for him in the second and third. He also has a maybe, and maybe he can mix in some wrestling. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to be beating the drum and being like super, super passionate about either side in this fight. I'm just going with the guy with a little bit more experience at a higher level at this point. You are correct in your assessment of when Nigga Marianu fought in, on uh, his UFC debut against Safarbek Safarov, he was billed as a Romanian wrestling champion. We took it for face value, and it was like, yo, this guy can't wrestle. Safarov took him down at will and put a beating on him. It was mm-hmm. very sad and pathetic. But then he looked but a he lot better two years later. Two years later, and he actually moved to Las Vegas, and they we got him wrestling a lot more with wrestle. better bodies, better guys in the gym. He took down Alexa Kmore. That grappling and that persistence ended up winning him the fight. He took down Candy and Jaku, who's a big, large, physical guy. He could definitely implement his wrestling, but it'd be a lot more effective once he tires Eeyore out. So take some shots in the first round, try to slow him down, and then hopefully take over in the second and third. If we see a second round and Eeyore won the first, potentially a good live betting opportunity as well in Nega Marianu. But in either case, is Nick Negamarianu. Like, the guy, I don't think he's good at all. I don't want much faith in him, but uh, he's plus 105 and, like, <laughs> enough for me to say, sure, underdog selection. So I will take him. Man, I I just, I, I basically forgot about, you know, the human cheater, uh, Sapper Big Safarov. That guy just gets fouls every <laughs> single fight. Like, eye pokes, yeah. fence grabs, everything. Guy hasn't fought since like literally the beginning of pandemic when he got uh, triangle chokes by Rodolfo Vieira. Wonder what he's up to. He's 35, 35 years old. Pfft, let's see your real birth certificate, pal. Um, yeah, there's no way he's 30. No, like, his hairline screams like I'm a 49 year old single dad. Like, yeah. With no ACL. With no ACL. Um, wonder if he'll ever come back. He was supposed to fight Julian Marquez in November of 2020, but he had a botch weight cut, and then uh, we haven't heard from him since. Very interesting. Saberbeg will be back though. There's a there's a fight night, whatever, where uh, where he'll 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 emerge from the shadows, I imagine, once again. All right, let's get to the final fight of the night, or the first fight of the night. It's uh, Ryan Kose taking on Blood Diamond, Pat's favorite MMA guy. Um, well, just he just. Blood Loves loves the name. Uh, Why yeah. doesn't he look like Wesley Snipes from Demolition Man anymore? Uh, well, so the thing is, is that was this is his actual like official UFC um, photo, which they which they posted, and I took them off of the official UFC pictures. The one that we had before that where he looked like uh, Demolition Man was uh, that he hadn't fought in the UFC, so he didn't have like professional photographers and that I don't one. like it I'm not Take making I'm not making the board again there Pat um I mean Blood Diamond can't grapple we saw that pretty clearly uh in his UFC debut in fairness this is a significantly easier fight in theory for him against one of the Kosi brothers um I really struggle to get to the window with a minus 180 Orion Kosi, but like Blood Diamond seems incredibly knockout or bust. And um, 
yeah, I, I, I'm just kind of, you know, terrified of, I'm not, I'm not touching blood diamond. I'll, I'll tell you that much interested to hear what you have to say. Do we have a real edge on this one or is it, you know, is it price right? Uh, yeah, well, is it price right? I mean, you got one guy that can wrestle one guy that can. So yeah, I would, I would say that it's probably priced pretty right. But if you're on the blood diamond team, um, I can see it, but the version that I see is you're going to have to get out of the first round and that's going to give you a live betting opportunity. That's much better than plus plus one fifty-five. No doubt about it. That Orion Koski similar to his brother, they're front runners. These guys are very physical in that first round. They both wrestled. They'll definitely have that wrestling advantage. But again, you look through his record and a lot of it is uh, get the job done early, right? Go out there, take you down, smash you up. All of his regional scene wins first round, first round, first round, first round. That one was third round back to the first round. Uh, on on the contender series against the third round finish, and then the Flip Rowe fight against uh, Philip Rowe. He, again, he had a good first round. It's that if you can extend them beyond that first, put, you know, give a little bit of pushback. It seems like they kind of fall together more often than not. So Blood Diamond is going to get taken down in the first round. He's going to get mauled in the first round. But if for whatever reason he was to survive and see a second round, that's when he'll be a lot more alive as an underdog because he's taken all the best that Koski has off to offer. And it's only going to get better from here on out. And if you get the guy where he's tired and he's standing and you're able to catch him with a flying knee or a head kick or something, you know, Roe absolutely carved him up once he got tired. He could, in theory, make something happen. But you ain't betting this pre-line 155. I think you're going to wait until after the first round and get a 255, if anything at all. But I got to go back to the wrestling. The wrestling is everything. Blood Diamond seemingly has zero ability to stuff the takedown. That's going to be a problem because Ryan Costi is going to go out there and expose it right away, shoot the takedown, get this thing to the ground, get on top. And from there, just deliver ground and pound, right? It looked to me like Blood Diamond against... Mind you, you want to give him a bit of a pass just because... Uh, you know, he's taking on a pretty high level guy against Jeremiah Wells, but he's a fish out of water on the ground. Like just no ability to do anything, no ability to get back up, gave up the takedown right away. Even if he would have survived that first round, what do you think was going to happen in the second? Wells would have just taken him back down and gone right well, back Wells to the same like position. Wells like kind of like tripped right out of the gate when he was like walking around the they cage. He hurt his leg, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the stupid thing, if you put it in won. perspective though, think about how crazy this is and why we didn't like back up the Brinks truck and just unload it. Jeremiah Wells was like minus one, minus 225 against Blood Diamond um, in that fight. Now they're yeah, getting it pretty much the same price him, on Orion no, no, Kosi against crazy. Blood Diamond. Pretty crazy when you think like about Jeremiah it. Like Jeremiah Wells sure. is a problem. Kosi is very, very interchangeable between here and LFA. Like if this fight was happening on LFA yeah. this weekend, like nobody would even bat an eye, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah, not no, likely. You know? And you know what? I mean, he's been off a full year, like almost a year to the day, really since he fought Philip Rowe, he pulled out of the blood diamond fight the first time because of an injury blood diamond pulled out of the last fight against him for unknown reasons. But that last one was only six weeks ago. So blood diamond physically pulled out of the fight six weeks ago. They That's rebooked it six weeks later. Yeah, I don't know what he had. I don't know what was wrong with him. I don't know what caused him to withdraw, but none of that bodes well. Koski as well, I think he would have learned some lessons from Gassing against Roe. He's also uh, at Team Alpha Male now. Just seems like he's going to have his wrestling as one of his tools. He's going to have that as a go-to game plan. And even if he gasses out, I don't think – I think he probably takes him out inside of two rounds. So, like, cardio probably not going to be an issue, assuming uh, you can just take him out before you get fully gassed out. So – you know, I would take Koski again. I don't love the price tag, but this could. This is one of those fights where you could get a guy and he'll look like a minus a thousand. He'll go in, he'll get a takedown, he'll get on top, smash, smash, smash. 
That's the end of it. I don't think the UFC is trying to protect him because you've seen a lot of these flashy type prospects where they'll bring in, they'll, they got a cool little gimmick. They come in, they fan out quite quickly. The UFC doesn't care. It's not like, Oh, he's Izzy's buddy. He's uh Volkanovsky's buddy. Uh, we owe him and we're trying to build him up. Like, I, I don't think they particularly care. So I think Koski probably just gets the takedown. And then from there, it could be easy work, but fully going to admit if this thing goes to the second or the third round, I would be nervous because of how he gassed out and you haven't seen him fight since then. He gassed out bad, got hurt, took an, uh, took a year off. And now he's coming back. Maybe wait till weigh-ins, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a low level fight. Incredibly low level fight. Koski's probably a rightful favorite here because he's a more well rounded mixed martial artist and Blood Diamond is Israel Adesanya's kickboxing buddy. Like facts are facts. All right. Here's here's what I'm on so far this week. I got Dante Omaze at minus one twenty five. Um, that line is gone. I mean, up to 200, maybe from after what you said up to 200, maybe it's a half decent play, but I wouldn't be getting too into it. Uh, we just don't know too much about about Hamdi whatsoever. Uh, Juliana Pena, money line plus 245 on prize picks. I only have a two pick play. It's Tuesday. I literally just looked at these these prices uh, right before we started doing this show because uh you know, Pat's going on vacation, and uh, the lines don't really drop until Tuesday as it is. But I got Dracker close, over 60 and a half significant strikes, and Amanda Nunez under two takedowns. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like that two, so $150 pays for, or returns 450 I think those are two angles that I feel pretty comfortable with. Uh, I'll look at the numbers, obviously, over the course of the week and uh, and add more more fuel to the fire but uh as a at a first glance those were the kind of the two that popped out to me um yeah that's that's it for me hit him with the prp cody hit him with the prp we're gonna go juliana pena dog number one brandon moreno sergey pavlovich alexander pantoja uh, magomed Nikolaev, alex morono dog number two drew dober dante mays dracker close uh michael morales Jayen Kim, dog number three. Nick Nick Marianu, dog number four. And then Orion Koski. So, again, we're going to go with four underdogs on this card. 13 fight offerings, hopefully nine favorites, the four underdogs. Stuff that I'm looking at the top, I would try to use Brandon Moreno as my top ticket hedge out stuff, maybe. But the four guys I like the best would be Brandon Moreno, um, Dante Mays, Dracker Close, Michael Morales. Michael Morales is a minus 650, so obviously that one's a little bit big. But between the Dracker Close minus 200, the Dante Mays minus 170, and the Brandon Moreno minus 210, you're going to find value there. And then that third ticket, now we could put a Megamed on Kalaev, and I might be inclined to put a Orion Koski, to be honest, but yeah. the tape study never stops. I mean, we're doing it on a Tuesday. We're racing the official Dogger Pass horse tonight, DA Jiminy Cricket, and there's a contender series on. So it's like, I probably haven't given it as much thought as I would like to by the time I tweet it out. For Dr- sure. Dude, Dober's going to give you a lot of value on that as well. Um, your best dogs. I mean, you got a huge dog in Juliana Pena, but beyond that, Alex Morona would juice some tickets up. Pantoja, I'm worried about that when I'm minus 180. Pavlovich, Lewis, it's, it's a dirty dog fight. Mm-hmm. Like a heavyweight, could go either way. But I think there's enough core guys and girls that you could use potentially to uh, to set up a good you know two fight ticket four fight ticket six fight ticket after that you're gonna be taking a shot getting greasy with it. Quad P, you got anything for us? Oh, yeah. Nice. Quad P is producer prize picks Pat. 
So once again, use the link down in the description. Code DOP will get you a Switch match. it to the two-shot. What's that? Two-shot. No, two-shot. Sorry. I was just I was trying to gauge your uh, reaction to everything. No, no. I, I just, you know. <laughs> no, I, I got you. you. I'm gonna, you better be right about this uh, this Drakkar Noir close guy. Over 60 and a half significant strikes. I think he can get there easy. Rafa Garcia is very, very durable. I don't believe he's even ever been finished. So it's like, so there we go. We should get over six, okay. 60 and a half isn't high. So over, over, I mean, we, I picked a guy last week at 52 and a half and he came under. Yeah, that was, uh, that was Mason Jones who, uh, sucks. Uh, hate that guy. Bomb. I mean, he went for Dead like a, me. like a jump, like a jumping submit. Like he just fought so <laughs> stupid. He fought so stupid. He, yeah, he should. Yeah, it was it was embarrassing. So the other one that I'm going with is something Cody just mentioned randomly throughout the course of the fight. Jocelyn Edwards over 80 and a half significant strikes. He said both these girls get over 100. I mean, 100 is more than yeah, 80. Yeah. That sounds pretty good to I, me. I agree. So, yeah, I don't mind I agree. that. 200. I think that's all right. Throw down. Thanks. I'm going to go with Cody on this one. I'll take one of you, one to Cody, and we'll be good. 200 pays 600. Easy game. Let's go. But Cody actually picked Ji Yoon Kim. Yeah, but he said that they both, he said decision, they both go over. She's not available on prospect. Only Edwards is. That's fair. Yeah. it's a good point. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't honestly, it. it's going to be a striking affair, and they're both going to land well over. It's going to go the 15 minutes, and you should be good. Um, yeah, man, the pick last week for the prize picks is that Makai of over one <laughs> on the takedowns. Oh, my yeah. God. I should have kept oh it a lot more God. simple rather honestly... than doing the five bangers like I've been doing. It's just like if I, I, just, if I just loaded up on the Dia, Dia Casey and, and Makayev, those overs on the takedowns, and just jammed at it, I would have been a happier guy this week. Yeah, I, I should have opened 10 more prize pick accounts and been like, oh, no, this is uh, Senor Cody and uh, this is Monsieur Cody and uh, just have as many because that was a great line. So the great thing about, well, for money line and all that, like the bookie has been around since human beings have been around. They understand kind of where the line's going. The sport is developing to a, period, a point now where a lot of these lines get open as softs. Uh, they get matured later on in the week. By the time you get it, it's kind of settled at its final space. There's some really smart minds in the game working for it. Finding that really random ass thing that's the free money is very difficult to find these days. Um, you did mention it with Jeremiah Wells versus Blood Money. Like, damn, that was the opportunity right there. Blood Money. But of course, with prize picks, it's a new format. It's different, right? So they're setting certain things as over-unders on significant strikes or, or certain of them that are takedowns because it's like, oh, this guy and they can't one takedown. Yeah, they can't really copy that information like, from anywhere else. It's like nobody's really offering you know, significant strike totals and stuff, especially this early in the week. So there's a unique opportunity to say the least. Yep. So I'm really happy to be uh, that they're on board with the show and that things have been going well. And through four weeks now, it's been three and one, and we've got to get back to our sweet hit these five bangers. But as Pat mentioned, the money's not in the five bangers. The consistency is going to grind you up. But uh, you guys all know me by this point. I love Berlays, right? Lose big, win big. In this case, you're betting a unit on, you know, a unit for the whole card, a couple units for the whole card. You not don't have to have these five unit plays in one time. It's just you got your top ticket. You got if the, you hit at the bottom, it's all good. We've hit one Bellator PRP this year. We've been close on a couple, but uh, the main thing is is that the year will not be complete till we hit a nice, good, bona fide UFC one. So that is always the goal. I don't know if this is the card. It is greasy as hell. But if it was to be the card, the value will be there. It would it would pay tremendous. So 
as you always, Pena give our best effort. 245 in the mix. Is that your PRP pick right at the bottom? And it's your main event. So you'd be like, oh my God, I need to hedge out. But then you'd realize, you're going to have her I at can't the bottom. Out of this because you sounded pretty confident. I mean, she's, she's a plus, plus two. 265. Yeah, but like that doesn't really mean like the odds with the whole thing that you said about like Rousey. Yeah, I would say Jayun Kim would probably be the bottom pick just because yeah. we got Greasy Women's MMA. She is the underdog, understandable. The uh, well, then and then and then I'm gonna guess that you know Pena is gonna be somewhat somewhat close to that. Sometimes the PRP is written. There's only one PRP pick. Sometimes it's written. There's two PRP picks. It depends on the number of fights. This is a 13 fight card, so there'd be likely only one. It's an uneven number, so there'd only be one PRP pick. And that would be Jiyun Kim, which means that Juliana Pena ends up on a line with Sergey Pavlovich or maybe Alexander Pantoja. Oh, actually, sorry. She probably ends up on a line with Alex Morono. But if they both hit and the rest of them hit, <laughs> oh, baby. you never hear from little Cody ever again. Yeah, you will. You'll, you'll be here yeah, on yeah, the, fo- the following Wednesday. I feel like yeah, Tuesday. Uh, we, we Tuesday's have a, a little early in the so. Tuesday's a little too early in the week for us doing this show. Um, um, I but, ag- I agree with you, but it's that or no show. So here we. No, go. no, no. I, I I just mean like we're a little bit less prepared than we usually are. You know, a lot of the numbers were like we're brand new and. It sounds yeah. like you got lots oh, of good. excuses if you lose this week. I mean, I don't have too much too much on it. But anyway, that is it for us this week. Hope. Okay, so I can't. I can't even host my own show at this point. No, 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 you can't. Because uh, I have more prize picks to ask Cody about. There's Dancing with Ooh. the Stars MMA or something tonight. DWCS. Oh yeah, Dana White's uh, Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. All right, so yeah. da- Dana White dances with the stars. Um, is there anyone like I'm just looking? At, they have fantasy score. They have takedowns. They have significant strikes for this. Stuff. Well, here's your problem: is that like the card thing. the yeah, the card starts in a few hours, so like by the time you get this to air, yeah, people no might point. have like an yeah, hour to squeeze it, it in. Go in on it. <laughs> oh well, I don't know. What, I don't know what the numbers are. What I would tell you is that you probably want to avoid the main event. I like this Josh Pfeiffer guy, but he's the guy that broke his arm a couple uh, mm-hmm. last time he was like a tennis series. He's got like some he took on family Stoltz's. issues. Yeah, but like he's he's got good jujitsu. He's got good striking. Like he's a career martial artist. Like from the time he's four years old, like he can make something happen for you. But this Aussie Diaz is not bad. I'm more so aiming in on this Anton or Kurladic. He's a big guy, pretty strong, physical. He had a grappling match with Alex Gustafsson, I think, last year back in Sweden. But trains at a high level. He's going to have that wrestling grappling advantage. I think he gets the fight to the ground. And then Cassio De Santos. I just don't know what he offers. This Dennis Bazuka. He was on the Contender Series last year and. Kids got skills, absolutely has skills. Unfortunately, ran into another guy that was very seasoned as well. But I think that the the loss, the setback, the time off, the training at a very high level, like I think he's got a promising enough future. And then I don't know. I think this Alessandro Costa guy just looked a little too physically strong. But uh, again, like we're racing the our dog or pass horse in three hours, three and a half hours to we race old DA Jiminy Cricket. So that's where the focus is at, baby. We're going for sixteen thousand. Winner gets half. So. Yeah, hopefully you know, we hopefully win some of those around and, and Yeah. Yeah, no, it's all about giving them a good experience and, and get them a good trip. But uh, of course, just like just like the MMA fights, you're always op- optimistic and hoping for the best. And that is what I'm hoping Go for. Go Jiminy. Let's do it. Okay, so I, I went Anton over fantasy score, Dennis Bazooka over fantasy score. Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that's good. 
put yeah, one. I, I I may I may tweet something out just because it's only five o'clock now, and I you know I got a couple hours. But uh, if I don't, this isn't the worst episode to miss. Truth be told, yeah, I would also take that Ozzy Diaz. You know, I don't I know I'm just throwing that out there, but yeah, like he's uh he's got some big power. This kid. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. All right. Anyways, let's wrap with that and uh, let's wrap this let's, up. Let's get that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody and Pat, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh.